Gentlemen, welcome to Data Beat Eight. That was the podcast, aka the Black Awareness Rally podcast. You can be rocking with anybody in the world right now, but you are here with us. It's your man Pledge, alongside my main man Bay. What up, everybody? And we welcome all of you guys to the discussion. B, what's been going on, bro? Trying to survive, B. Trying to survive, huh? Yeah, B. Hold on. So is the summer officially over, or, or what, man? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's. Out of here. Out of here. Get in everything you wanted to get in or, or what? Uh, important stuff. You know. Important stuff. Health, you know, tried to change my diet. Made a couple changes. Uh, worked on some hobbies. Um, uh, what else, what else, what else? Just did some stuff that's good for my creativity. Watch some uh, some anime or whatnot. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but no, nah, I ain't, ain't, ain't doing no traveling kind of stuff. Not like that. No. I got you. I mean, from a creativity hobby, hobby <laughs> from a hobby standpoint, I mean, I can I can say the the graphic of the production game has been stepped up. Not just on this podcast, but I did peep a couple of other live productions that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, big up to that. Oh, no, I'm flexing that that muscle and um, you know that creative outlet that you have. So yeah, just trying to uh, generate enough stream of income, as, as the internet say, the financial influencers trying to pressure everybody. So uh, hopefully, uh, that starts to pan out for me. How about you? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a lot going on as far as a lot of, far, uh, a lot of moving around, uh, mostly with the family. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been good to kind of um, get back out there and get back into the mix of things and, um, you know, and have everybody, you know, enjoy their time and um, being together. So, but it's been good, though. But as you said, as, as we said, you know, it is um, coming to an end soon. I know down here, Everybody be back in school in about a week and a half, so um, you know things are probably start to get back and feel normal again after that. So. Uh, I don't see y'all making it, honestly. Out with them, oh. them cases, boy. They so saying y'all was to hit a hundred grand by the end of the week. So you saying they 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 gonna be stuck at the crib? Um, well, not Florida. Let me let me take that back. Florida ain't gonna close. I forgot y'all know. Yeah, I don't give a hoot. DeSantis say no. Get in. <laughs> I don't care what y'all say. No. We not closing. Um, I, don't, I don't think we're going to make it. I don't think we're going to make it. I've been enjoying the, 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 the one thing that um, the people that can apply the most pressures are the teachers' unions um, when it comes to matters of this, uh, of this nature. So. You think DeSantis care about I know, um, his, I know his word kind of teachers. I mean, the uh, school board ain't ain't for the budge. I don't remember that union having enough gumption and sway to kind of pull that off. Now, Chicago, Chicago might. <laughs> but I don't, I don't remember us being able to pull that off. I got you. 
I mean, we'll see how it plays out. But um, hopefully everybody stays safe. And, um, you know, and, you know, we'll see what happens. True. Um, I mean, I was kind of excited to see these festivals and concerts and the light starting to show up everywhere. But I can't in good faith just be out here wilding. Uh, especially with this uh this Delta variant news. Um, yeah, I, I I think it was in the group chat. They showed a Lollapalooza. Um, mm-hmm. what it was looking like out there. Mm-hmm. Looking like the rest of the crowd. <laughs> hey man, but you know I'm just kind of like on this Marvin Gaye. I just kind of stumbled on that because I was looking at the national anthem. Well, I got a oh. question about that in a second, but. Um. Yeah, I was just. I'm like, man, some of the stuff is that I wanted to do is starting to pop up now. So, I'm like, okay, do I get out here and just start booking flights and, you know, doing whatever, knowing that we could see a lot of stuff get canceled because of the Delta variant, or because you know a lot of people ain't trying to be responsible for super spreader events. So I'm like, dang. So now I'm kind of like in a pickle. Like, eh, should I wait? Should I not? Uh, but I know some, some folk on the on the internet, on the interwebs is like, man, live your life. You can't live in fear. I'm like, man. Yeah. I'm in that demographic, B. That, you know what I mean? Everybody else got it. Everybody else got it, and it's doing this to them. But black men that's overweight, <laughs> y'all getting the, y'all getting the death certificate. So I ain't like trying to risk boy it. Said, like like your boy Stephen A. C. Smith says a lot. Saying they, they they might catch a cold. Do the same thing, give us pneumonia. So yeah, man. It's just no, no. Anyway, man, I don't want to talk about that too much. That's yeah. That's a uh, another thing, but. Marvin Gaye, National Anthem. I got like a couple interesting things about Marvin Gaye because I've been trying to do like this documentary dive into albums now. That's like a new thing of mine. Like I want to learn more about the creation of certain albums. And so, uh, you know, the world's best album called The Rolling Stones is What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, which was dropped in 1971 on the infamous, well, not the infamous, the legendary, iconic Motown record. But uh, I stumbled on, started, you know, just went down the rabbit hole because I was looking at somebody on, oh, Morris Day. You know who Morris Day is? Yeah. Yeah, Morris Day. Apparently he's on Instagram, and he asked Instagram who had the better national anthem performance, Whitney Houston or Marvin Gaye. And I was like, oh, snap. Something. What you got? Who you got? Breaking up happy homes. Listen, man, you got you got to pick a side. This 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 bigger than vaccine, no vaccine. I'm going to take uh, Whitney Houston. Let me let me say this though. They's I found out you know I didn't verify this yet, but I found out that hers she wasn't singing; she was lip syncing. Does that like Blast knock her? List. Blasphemous. Uh, let me, let me, let me. Do, saying, man, if, you, if, you if she did that, it was, it was like on a lot of, like a lot of people was torn, right? A lot of people was like, B, man, I don't know who to B, pick. 
I'm just telling you, people I don't know. People have been shot for less. I'm just telling you. <laughs> people, people have been shot for less than what you saying right now. I didn't say it. I'm just telling you what, what they said. It, this ain't my opinion. You know what I mean? I'm not the purported, the, the, the purported of such craziness, but I just was like, ooh. Hmm. If Whitney was lip syncing, did she get, did she lose some points for that? Cause it, I mean, Mar- you know Marvin was live with it, and he rearranged the whole thing. He made it sexy, like the crowd started like, "Yeah, baby, yeah." They're like, mm. <laughs> "I was like," he turned the whole crowd. The crowd was like, "Oh yeah, saying it, oh!" Like you can hear old mamas in the crowd just getting excited. Boy, this the national anthem. But there was some significant surrounding the Whitney um, national anthem. One, the country was at war. Yeah. Um, and the national anthem has been used to kind of be, you know, the rallying cry. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the town that I now call home, Tampa. Okay. So, uh, you know, that's another thing. I think Marvin Gaye, he was at a basketball game, correct? Yeah, the All Star game in '83. All Star game. Okay. That was his final tour. He would die two months later. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like. It's, it's and, I mean, it was a Super Bowl. I mean, it doesn't get too many bigger events than the Super Bowl. Yeah, like it was it was the NBA All-Star game. So, you know, that wasn't – I know at the time it wasn't that big a deal. And it definitely ain't the Super Bowl. So, i give you that. But when was hers? Like 91, 92 or something like that? I think 91 or 92. But I think we were in the Gulf War at the time. Let me get some Googles. In Tampa. Get some Googles. So, you you going to witness. I'm going with you, yes. I mean, but you bringing this up will force me to rewatch the Marvin Gaye. Um, yeah, it was in 91. She did hers in 91. Um, so that that will be done today um, in a comparative uh, mode to... Uh, now, I don't know if I told the, the fans and the, the folks that stream this, my school won me over the first day that I had to report to work by playing with Houston's national anthem as the Star Spangled Banner at the job. They played it every single day. And I was like, oh my God, this is just the blackest thing I've ever heard. Like, at a school that's named after Barack Obama, that's 99% black, they played the black national anthem by Whitney Houston. I mean, the only way they could have made it more special to me is to play the Mark Gay version. But it was Whitney Houston. I was just like, oh, man, this is, I'm in Atlanta, nigga. <laughs> What's the blackest song you ever heard in a grocery store? The blackest song I ever heard in a grocery store? Like, you know, there's some stuff. You're like, we, we let them know we, we let white people in on that one? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but. When if like say I'm at a sporting event, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's not a lot, you know, like a high school game. They play, they play, they normally play the a Star Singer banner before high school games. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a recording. Sometimes they have somebody sing it like live. But I'm pretty sure you've been places and you've heard um, a group play a recording of the of the national anthem, and then like when people hear that it's Whitney, 
you, everybody kind of looks at each other and be like, oh, 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 we're on to something here. I mean, so it is kind of a, um, I don't know if it's an inside joke or what, but it is something that is appreciated um, by the skin folks. So. I don't know, man. I I just little things like that, man. It just make you feel like affirmed, seen, appreciated. You know what I mean? When you when you get those little things, and uh, the Star Spangled Banner is definitely one of those things. Uh, the Whitney Houston Star Spangled Banner being played at the job. Um, the Publix here is where I've just had another moment of like, oh man, like. I'm in Atlanta. It was like another in Atlanta moment. I was in a Publix. You know, Publix is real corporate. You know, they got their thing pretty tight. You know, I don't know how well it's run behind the scenes, but you know what I mean? They they do all right. Like, it's pretty consistent from one Publix to another one. Like, I've only been to one bad Publix in my life, but uh can't even say it was black run, like, because it's black run, because the Publix up here is black as I'll get out like everybody black. All the department managers black. So I'm like, okay, this this a real black Publix and this quality's yeah. up there. So uh I think it was it might have been around the Super Bowl. No, it wasn't the last Super Bowl because we ain't do nothing. Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving. And I'm, you know, on a little quick run and I get out and it's busy because you know it's Thanksgiving. But I get in there and they're playing like SWV, Alexander O'Neill, Babyface. And I ain't talking about the Babyface that does with the Mariah Carey joints. Talking about Babyface yeah. when you would deal and like two occasions. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? So see, I'm like. See, that's the thing. I don't, that's how it is. I don't even notice that Publix plays music around here. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, so it's like it's crazy. So I, either I either they don't or it's so bad I never even they play music. Pick it up. Pubs plays like music. I, but I was in I was in because uh, you know we got a, the outlets right down the street mm -hmm. in the crib, right? Mm -hmm. I was in there. I was in the Puma store, and they played this um, mix of uh, Destiny's Child, Say My Name, to the uh, Spodioti Dopalicious uh, beat. What? Yes. Would you, yeah. would you see that, like, register? You was like, huh? Yeah, I was like, what? Yeah. I never, first of all, I never heard the song ever. I mean, um, so I can't I say to, I literally had to Shazam it, and Shazam didn't even know, um, didn't even, it didn't even register on Shazam. So I had to go to um, Google and type in, say my name to Spodiotis, Dopalicious, and some call, some cat named uh, Paul Ron or whatever, like mm -hmm. mixed it or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a dope track though. Um, so if y'all at a um, party I'm DJing, y'all probably gonna hear it. <laughs> Just full disclosure. <laughs> That's how like, nice the track is. So. Is that, is that, like I was saying earlier, like some stuff we got, we don't tell nobody we got it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's an in house thing. And when, Certain groups know about it outside the house. You be like, "Who told y'all about that?" You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is Publix's plan, or we said Puma, Puma plan, like Spodio the Dope Delicious, like 
Because, you know, Destiny Child is Destiny Child. Like, you know, yeah. they, they just, we're going to hit as many demographics as we can get this paper. You know, we, we bite lean it, but, you know, we pop music. But Spodio, the Delicious, that's, that's in-house stuff. <laughs> How you, you think that was somebody there at the store just happened to be on a, their own vibe? Or you think corporate was like, we have to play this kind of stuff now because of the world? I mean, just think of, just think about the demographic who goes to the mall or necessarily to that store or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily think they're I don't think it would be something that come down from corporate, maybe a um an individual store employee, you know, that was like just you know, just wilding out mm-hmm. while they were at work. Um but I mean like take for instance your your the publics that you go to, um I'm pretty sure they they serve um, you know, a high number of black people. So that's just giving the people what they want, making them feel at home, you know, where they where they shop at and where they spend their money at. They like you say, you, they feel listened to, they feel appreciated, they they feel like their culture is, you know, um taken to effect. And I and as I said, I, I think that's why a lot of people gravitate to Atlanta's because they feel like Atlanta's one of the places that truly appreciates um the black culture. Like a lot of like, it's not hard to find a restaurant that offers live music in Atlanta because they know that because we appreciate me. Like that's one of the things I was looking for in a restaurant when we went up there is restaurants that offer live music, and there were a lot of different options because you know that's something you know we go out to eat. Music is a part of that experience, um, a lot of times or whatever, and so they offer that as part of the um you know, it's part of the ambiance, so. Hmm. Black facing me, I mean, white facing, wow. Black facing media, or arts. What do we, how do we feel about it when it like spills over into other spaces? For example, this might get us in trouble, so prepare yourself. This might be the last episode. <laughs> A different world. Bill Cosby, you know, it's the creator and all that stuff. But you know, there's no doubt who that was produced for. No doubt what the message was. No doubt what Bill wanted to happen as a result of that show being created. And I saw a clip of the cast, like like a 20 year anniversary interview and they were uh, asked if they knew how impactful or iconic it was going or it was or going to be while they were making it you know so different people said different things but uh Cree Summers was like anytime she mentioned that she's going to meet up with anybody from the cast on Twitter she was like you would think it's just a group of black people that are excited but she's like it's it's so many different groups of people that said they would never go into college if it wasn't for a different world. And so, yeah. what 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 we supposed to do with that, man? Are we supposed to be like Cleveland to add, or do we just go for the money? Because again, they got dogged. Like Drill told me some facts about how the show was like abruptly ended, like yanked off the air because they took a little miniature dip in the ratings, but it wasn't significant enough to be like, oh, y'all underperforming. 
But I don't know, man. How we? How we? You know what I mean? Do we? Cause we ain't make it for nobody else. Like it wasn't for nobody else. Yeah. No, I mean, as I said, what you make it for. I mean, as I said, I, I think that everybody should be able to appreciate the art. I mean, that, that that's the thing. I don't think you. I don't think you have um, a thing to where people can't appreciate what you what you make. And as I said, there there are universal themes in in just about every you know everything that we do. It's I think a lot of times a lot of time I think we talked about it last show is that sometimes people want to separate us and say oh you know us versus them or you know that their way our way, but you know young people getting together at the most kind of creative. Um, time of their lives, you know, when they're, when they're the most creative, when they have the most, um, you know, when they have the biggest opportunities at their life, getting together, having a good time, working through the struggles or whatever, that's something that's universal. I mean, as I said, we went to a, a PWI to where we were in college with, you know, people of all backgrounds and nationalities, whatever. And, you know, what people were experiencing and going through was, was the same. It wasn't like, oh, you know, this is our set of problems, this is this their this is their set of problems. So, you know, I think as as in art, is art can't necessarily be separated. It's something that, you know, people see something in it and people can relate and it resonates with them. Um, I know that's you know, the show A Different World or whatever. I can watch it today and it still still resonates with me. And it's like, man, why didn't I go to uh, HBCU? You know, like that, that. Those are kind of films that you know that it brings up. Um, I got a, I got some stuff from from Hillman. Like I got, I like, I like, I like, I like, I got, I got, I got stuff from Hillman or whatever. To where if I were it, I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure some people would be like Hillman College, but I'm pretty sure some people would be like, you know, they'll, you know, they'll give me the black power fist, um, you know, if they see it. So. Um, I don't. I don't think it's something that necessarily has to be protected, um, but I think that it's something that you know. Like I said as long as people appreciate what you're doing, I think that's the um, that's the biggest thing, and it, and it resonates with them and speaks to them. Um, I think that that that's the beautiful biggest thing. I know that we. I felt a different way. I think when the NFL announced what they're planning to do with the um, the opening games of this season. To where every game will begin with the uh, the Negro national anthem. I, I how you felt? How, how you that. felt? What, what? So for those of us that don't know, on the NFL, um, it's something I don't want. I don't. I don't want to get. I don't want it to be commercialized. I, I do not want that to be commercialized. Um, so, I, I don't want it to be opened up for scrutiny. I don't want it to be you know something that's debated politically. It's um, too late. Um, too late. Uh, party lines, like I, 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 I don't like. That's one thing I do want protected. It's too late, man. I, <laughs> like I ain't even, I ain't even clicked the the article, but Candace almost got to it. Tommy Lauren got to it. You know, the 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 hounds got to it. Um, for everybody that's not aware, the NFL will start playing the Negro national anthem at the beginning of all the games or I think some, doing games, that, uh, some games, some games, one game, one the, game. The, 
opening no, weekend. Doing it for the opening weekend, the opening set of games. So yeah, I guess it's going to be what sixteen games that weekend. Yeah, so, so sixteen games. Um, that song will be played. And I mean, that, it's already played at. I've, I've been to plenty of HBCU games where it's been played uh, before. You know, I think that's, that's classic, a, yeah, that's the in house thing. You know, like, once we're amongst, you know, us is is something that's played. I remember um, this is like the first time I ever heard a controversy surrounded by uh, the Negro National Anthem. Growing up, uh, my brother was in the band in middle school. And Jones was like, Jones uh, High School in Orlando was like the all-black school in in Orlando. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of my, a majority of my family members went there, graduated from there or whatever. It's within like walking distance from the house my dad grew up in. You know, my grandmother's house is in walking distance of there, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so they had this thing to where they would play the they would play the national anthem, but they would like like right afterward they would kind of blend in the Negro national anthem, like which, which was smooth, like 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 a smooth transition, like you know, like ah, gotcha. <laughs> but there was a petition going around from other bands because they did not like the way they thought it was insulting to the to the to the national anthem how um that band did that and so um and it's it's crazy how my my brother got involved because i think you know like the middle school band i guess they like go and and monitor like the like i guess they like go sit in on the high school band Mm -hmm. and they happen to be sitting in on that game or whatever and they wanted like the people to sign the petition saying oh you know they they shouldn't do that to the national anthem and all that stuff or whatever, but um but I remember that like I remember that being a conversation, um in the household about um how they didn't like how they mixed the two, um the national anthem with the Negro national anthem, and um, now it's about to be a heavy dose of the Negro national anthem um during the first week of NFL games that's coming up. September, so. well, what's it mean when like there's a, a a backlash at the announcement? Like it ain't even happened yet. You know what I mean, but the announcement just pissed people off. Like it's people thought they needed to like arm up and <laughs> form a mob to go after some unseen or Roger Goodell. Like, what, what does that mean? Like it. I mean, people who are people who are against it because I mean, it, it depends why people are against it. I'm not necessarily. I, I mean, I I think it's uh it's a gesture of saying, all right, you know, recognize you, we recognize the song or whatever. We're trying to build a bridge, um, you know, to to over things or whatever. I I think it's an empty gesture, honestly. Um, but and I'm not. Like, all right, cool. You think that's a good idea, but I'm just saying, like, I just don't want the song wrapped in controversy. I just don't want what the song song is going to be exposed to, um, you know, to where how I feel about the song. I just don't want that to it to be uh, surrounded by that. That's why I'm like, cool. Thank you for the gesture, but please don't drag the song through all the um, criticism and political. Um, you know the, the politicking that's going to go on behind it. So, so I'm predicting that 
somebody's gonna like dig up Langston Hughes and talk about him. Well, no, my bad. Jesus. Is James Weldon Johnson? We should know that. Ooh, that's pretty bad. Um, I think it's James Weldon Johnson. Let me look this up. But the the author, somebody's gonna look up the lyrics. Somebody's gonna look up if James Weldon Johnson was a communist. Somebody's gonna look up the Harlem Renaissance. And then they're gonna tie it into leftism. What you what you think? I mean, it, it, the song is going to be uh, broken down. The song is going to be uh, thoroughly investigated. Um, you know, I don't know if there's, uh, you know, a couple of stanzas that are missing, like you know that that were removed, like the like the like the normal national anthem. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, we we usually stop at the first verse, so you know how that go. But uh... I mean, but. Honestly, I would, I would, I would be interested to know how many people, almost like the Juneteenth thing, how many Black people are actually familiar with the Negro National Anthem. Because I think I've told you this story to where I was in a class at USF, an Africana Studies class, and that subject came up, and nobody knew the Negro National Anthem. Like I literally had to like. What class um, this? Um. I forget which class it was, but I remember the lady that was teaching. The lady was um, from the Caribbean, and she was, and I think she had taught at uh, University of Florida. I wasn't in there. No, no, you weren't in there. Yeah. And so we were. We came to a part in the book to where um, it was talking about the Negro, the Negro national anthem, and um, and the words were there. But the lady actually like, does anybody know how to know, like, you know, how the song is, how the song is sung? What's that, the melody or whatever? You, you know more about music, way more about music than that. Yeah, just, just the melody. So the melody or whatever. And, like, nobody in the class knew it. And I was like, I raised my hand. I was like, yeah, I know it. Because I, 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 I've heard it, you know, hundreds was, of times. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. And so she was like, well, can you sing it? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sing it, but, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and so, like, I literally had to, like, go through the song of how like the different parts are sung. I mean, because it is a complex song. You can't just mm-hmm. see it on a piece of paper and know how to know how to sing it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I like I'll probably never forget that, you know, as long as I live, I actually had to sing the, the song. Uh I actually had to sing the song like Joker. But <laughs> so. love, that church that you grew up in, is it still open and running? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That was one of the blackest things that happened in my life. Let me put that out there. <laughs> like, ain't very many black things that happen that, like, oh, crap. Like, oh, this black. But, uh, Pledge is the, uh, product of a historical black church in the greater Orlando area. And, uh, the oldest, uh, black church in, in Orlando. Yeah. When I went there, when we was going to spring break, we went <laughs> spring break. <laughs> That was a wild weekend, but spring break. There was ever a day to go to church. <laughs> it was necessary. Because, yeah, man, survival. Thank God for those cell phones. But um, I just was, I was blown away by how how large. And it, it's, it wasn't like the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Like, you know, I grew up in the church. Black churches, white churches, 
mega churches that were ran by black people. I don't know, it was just something about the church. Like, I guess it was the architecture. Isn't it Baptist? Yeah. Yeah, it's Baptist. Yeah, the, the, so the hymnals, uh, the hymns, the structure. But I think what probably what stood out to me, there was a lot of old, there's a lot of men, a lot of elder men in, in positions that, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get the benefit of seeing that as I like got to my teenage years. So, but, uh, I was like thoroughly impressed. I was like, wow, like this is like really organized and structured and, you know, I mean, clear delineation of how things work. And I remember, did we get in and out like an hour and a half, two hours? Um, I don't remember being there. Yeah, I don't remember being there that long. I was just like, "This is beautiful." But yeah, uh, I mean, but but I I know, as I said, at least probably ten times a year that song was sung. Um, like, I was, I was like church growing up, yes. Yeah, I was like playing church, saying this all the time. Like my auntie, yeah, yeah. how many times you had to watch uh, Eyes on the Prize growing up before you get to college? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if my aunt made us watch it annually <laughs> because we used to get so tired of it. <laughs> like to this point now, like man, I don't want to watch this. I'm tired of watching it. Like I'm just tired of watching it. No, you know, no disrespect to the people, but uh. So, but shout out to uh, Mount Zion um, Institutional Missionary Baptist Church uh, in downtown Orlando. So. That's the real name. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> institutional missionary. Yeah, man. I know. Uh, just some of the gems that we have inside the the black experience. I, I just feel like marveling at. And one of those we brought up earlier, you know, definitely the Marvin Gaye "What's Going On" album. Uh, you know, Marvin Gaye tried it for the Detroit Lions. I did not know that. Marvin Gaye was a sports nut. Like, he was like a oh, real wow. devout sports fan. Yeah, he got a tryout for the Detroit Lions. And he was like best friends with uh, two cats that won rookie of the year. Like, the year before, I think in 1970 or the 69 season. Oh, okay. So I was like, oh, didn't know that. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Marvin Gaye tried out for the Lions. But, uh, yeah. So we got like what's going on, right? You know that that's definitely like a commentary on the times, you know, '69 Vietnam War, the assassination of a lot of iconic civil rights figures. And then you know he put that out. Um, then being from Motown, but we got different world. Uh, like I just been back on that, and not even like the historical, like the well, the political commentary. But why don't they get credit for being style icons? Huh? Like you ever, I don't know if you get a chance to go back. It's on Amazon Prime. You go watch it. Dwayne Wayne and Ron Johnson were style icons. And not just for the flip glasses. First people you see wear Jordans. The first people you see wear Jordans are Dwayne Wade and Ron Johnson. And I'm, I'm just like, whoa, wait. These brothers, you know, stylists, whatever, but I'm like, how come they don't get the credit they deserve for being like icons? Because the stuff that we're doing in the late 80s, early 90s. Like, there's one style where you got the, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, like a lot of sports guys are doing it. 
where they'll wear the uh like the, the athletic shorts that come above the knee or mid thigh and then they have like the baggy bootleg wrap t shirt with like a black cultural icon on the t shirt. It's like a real baggy, flowy shirt. Well that's a style straight out of straight out of a different world, which you know means ninety one, ninety two, but that's straight out of a different world. With a pair of Jordans and some like Port of Link sock crew socks. So I'm like could have been watching this week. I just started binging on everything. Not that season two yesterday. I was like, yeah, these dudes really were like ahead of their time. Because they weren't doing it on the Cosby show. No, I mean, the Cosby show, I think they kind of shied away from uh, the uh, the style aspect of it. I think that's one thing that's different than the, from, because I, I, I like to compare and contrast the Cosby show to um, the new show, Blackish. I think one thing that Blackish kind of leans into is the, the fashion aspect of it, um, you know, modern day. But as you said, I think a different world definitely leaned into it um, heavily. So, so we, we need to talk about that now. A different world needs to be lauded for its craftsmanship. I mean, I think in. I think the like aside from the nostalgia, just the impact, just the impact on the culture and getting people to gravitate, even if they didn't go to HBC, mm-hmm. but just getting people to gravitate towards higher education and showing people that hey, you can go to a place of higher education and one feel embraced and accepted, and two, um, not feel like you are cut off from um, who you are or what you're trying to become. I think that's that's one of the things that you know that 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 that's the biggest impact um, because those are things that are gonna um, affect um, people's trajectory in life. Yeah. So um, the I, biggest I return on investment, impact. education. Yeah. Uh, whether it be a four-year institution, two-year technical, this is the biggest return on investment. I don't care what social media is telling you. Nothing has the bigger nothing has a big return on your investment. Real time to education. Again, whether it be two year technical or you four year academic, you will get no bigger return than that. Uh, I'm talking differences hundreds of thousands of dollars over a lifetime earning potential. Right, right, right. So uh you know, not to not to shine anybody that well, I ain't go to college. Eh, but you need some technical training. So you go to a vocational trainer. You know, you you stand and improve your life majorly, like become an electrician after high school, mechanic, uh, plumber, uh, HVAC technician. All of that is technical training. So blue collar jobs and white collar jobs, all that education matters. Don't just be out here listening to these social media people. Well, I ain't got to go to college. Yes, you do. And when I say college, when we say college here on the show, we're we talking about the gamut, again, Blue collar workers, electricians, plumbers, HVAC technicians, uh, you know, mechanics, whatever you want to think of that. I mean, and don't don't forget, you know, jobs like, um, you know, whether you um, like your mother just said, firefighters. Yep. Um, you yep. got a yep. lot of um, people Policemen. that are EM- EMT, mm-hmm. policemen, stuff like that or whatever. You know, all those jobs. Um, you know, require, I mean, even, even barbers, like, that's all um, technical trainer, all of that like count. D.L. Hughley, he has a, a, a joke to where it's like, you can, um, 
you know, the training for police officers is shorter than it is to become a barber. Like, he's like, that's like... <laughs> I mean, that's that's another conversation. I'm trying to get into <laughs> but, that. You know, but... That's like, but, but, you know, you talk about, like, the barber school is like a year, you know, of, of yeah. training. And, yeah. You know, that's if you, you know, if you choose to become licensed or not. You know, right, so... Plenty of cats that... Uh, <laughs> I know, but, you know, our point is, man, education matters. And I think uh, education not just matters education is the most important thing you can do with your life I'm just put it like that I don't, I don't want to be because I feel like it's understated education is the most important thing you can do with your life because uh, we talking the difference between $500,000 over your lifetime and 2 million if just just to finish at a four year so, get what you got. I mean, look at the Jeffersons. The Jeffersons, he owned the dry cleaners. Okay. You know, there ain't no form of education. He still had to get trained on it. You know what I mean? That's still a form of training. But anyway, off of that. You know what I mean? But, I, but as I said, I, I, one thing that can't get lost is seeing people that look like you, that come from a similar background as you. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, people you can relate to seeing them in a environment that you may not be familiar with, but seeing that they can still continue to be themselves, be fly, I'm saying be be fashionable, still have a good time, um, have a community to um, rely and relate to each other mm. and um, and thrive. So as I said, the cultural impact cannot be lost on, on, on a show like that. I know one of the uh, topics they talk about in a roundabout way, uh, it's mental health, and, and that's been like a hot button issue for uh, different reasons in the last six months. But um, if you know in my my deep dive into the compilation of what's going on album, found out Marvin Gaye had some severe battles with mental health, and if he would have so let me let me ask this. let me say it like this because i know there's been there's been content, a lot of contentious conversations in the group chat about this topic remain locked in step doing what you know status quo is is the status quo is productive you know you're getting paid the system is running fine it's nothing wrong you know what i mean like motown we can say motown Thanks to, in part, to Marvin Gaye's contributions with the Tammy Terrell years and when he was with the uh, Moon, I think it's Moon Moonlighters, the Moonwalkers. But that was a, the quartet he joined when he first got out of the Air Force. And they were doing the doo-wop stuff, and it was, you know, Motown was banging out this, right? So, you know, there was Motown for a reason. But Marvin Gaye, Forging on a solo career, had some issues with mental health, walked away from recording for two years. They was begging him, calling him, hey man, come back. Nah, man, I don't want to do this. There's different reasons. Like Tammy Terrell died, she collapsed in his arms in the middle of a performance. It was like a, a close friend of his, um, died of cancer before 25th birthday, and he had to watch that happen. That sentiment spiraling depression. His brother got sent out to Vietnam. Um, 
and getting all these constant reports about how black men are being slaughtered because we're overwhelmingly drafted for that war. Um, and the cats that were coming home was drug addicts trying to cope. So all these different things is like having the Marvin Gaye. So he quit. Like, he just like, I'm out. Marvin Gaye was the golden child. He was the Prince of Motown at the time. But he just took off. He quit. and just ran. And he was like, he just was a recluse for like two years. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And the, the people I was listening to was like, it was mental health problems. So he comes back with what's going on. And Barry Gordon's like, nah, we ain't playing that here. Like, we don't do protest music. We don't do activism music. We don't, what are you doing? No, we're not playing that. And Marvin gets like, all right, well, I'm going to let somebody else hear it. Somebody else at the label put it out. And then it was like, it catapulted Motown into this new tier of fame and stardom and production. It was like the fastest selling, biggest record at the time for the for the label. So it just got me thinking, you know, because we just got just a myriad of examples. But what do we, what do we, as a black community, what do we, what are we telling people now? When we're saying you can't stop a productive routine schedule because you're being affected mentally and emotionally by the goings on of this successful thing. Because Martin Gaye gave us what's going on. Again, lauded by the white people and black people is the best album of all time. And that was a result of his mental health issues. He took a mental health break, ran from the label for two years, hid in the dungeon. Like, um, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these examples of where we're talking about the mental health have been examples that have been tied to sports. Um, you but know, it, Marvin Gaye was part of a team. So yeah. Yes, he was part of a team. Um, and. I'm going to say this. I I can understand people feeling they need to take a mental health break. I can I can understand the need. I, I I respect it, and I'm like, hey, if that's what you need to do, fine. The problem that I've had um, with the two with the two you know instances that I've gone on lately, um, just namely the Naomi Osaka and the Simone Bowles. The problem that I've had with these two is that. People Look at those like, in there too. The same thing. Uh, she said she smoked yeah. because she didn't know how to cope. This is mental. Yeah. So the problem that I have is that people applauding it as if it's courageous and and you know things that I think I I just think it should be kept in its proper context and it's in its proper perspective. And as I said, if you need to do it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to down you for it, but I'm also not going to lift you up for it either. That's just my thing. If you need to do it, God bless, but I'm not going to be like, oh, you're a hero. He's not, he's not, ladies and gentlemen, he's not married to that pledge of the person that when new information is introduced, he will reevaluate his stance and if necessary, change it. Isn't that, isn't that true? That, so that is very true. So I, I don't. That, this but, isn't a pill that he feels the need to die on. But Jesus. as of now, as I said, <laughs> if you need to do it, God bless. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come out and say anything negative about Simone Biles. 
but I'm also not going to lift her up. I mean, as I said, she's still she's still the greatest gymnast of all time. Yeah, like anybody taking that away from that, her. That's, that's not going to change. I'm not going to, you know, go say anything negative about her. Because I said, if you're jumping in the air and flipping and doing all that stuff, you need to be in your right mind. Mm-hmm. You, you need to be because you're doing life-defying uh, stunts or maneuvers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you're off by an inch or a half an inch, that could be your neck. I'm saying, yeah. so I'm not going to, you know, down her at all if she feels that she needs to step away to get, you know, some clarity. But I'm saying, like, I wanted to elevate. Information about it. I wanted to elevate. But like as the... I said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, hey, you know, she's the the, the hero or the most courageous person. Or but whatever. I'm just not at that point yet. But why so not? That's, that's why. But why not? Like, like I, the, the I, Marvin Gaye example. I picked that one because it was non-sport related, but it was the same social ramifications like yeah, he's he's a part of a, a a group the group depends on him to be present and productive in a certain way because the entire group is affected by what he does you know what i'm saying he was a he was a session musician and he was on the label and you in the contract and you barry gordy's brother-in-law like you know he went just out here like i'm marvin gay by myself he's like no nigga you you're a part of motown Motown counts on you to write songs, do backup, play music, play, you know, he had a job with a team. Yeah. So <clears throat> I picked that one because here's a guy. I think you, you were able to see the results of what came from that. Yeah, but it's, you know, hindsight 50 50. I mean, 20. You were able to see positive results that came out of him taking that break and of him being able to say, hey, um, I'm not in a clear space, but once you give me the time and space to get into a clear space, this is what I'm able to produce. And like but we said, don't we don't have that luxury here. Yeah, we don't have that luxury yeah, here. But what I'm saying, this is what I'm, this is what my point was not not to you know take a side, but when is the black community going to make mental health as serious as physical health? Because we you know. Black man, we still like way behind on physical health. Like we still don't go to doctors. Like, we just don't go. Like dudes just be dying at fifty over stuff that if you had some routine checkups that public health officials have been trying to get us to do, we could have caught a lot of stuff early and prevented it. But here we have Marvin Gaye who, you know, because of the time that he was in, in the seventies and the sixties and the eighties, that wasn't a it wasn't a widely discussed thing mental health we just shunned people for being alcoholics and drug addicts you know what i'm saying he was both of those things but we now know it was because he has some mental health issues you know what i'm saying like a lot of people that he cared for they were dying being taken away from him all that kind of stuff was happening to him and then he was going through breakdowns and then you know his dad killed him they were like that's his lifelong antagonist and his dad just like a crossdresser and all this stuff, and like dad never approved of the music he was making. You know, we all know the story. But I don't think Marvin Gaye could have told nobody, hey man, I need to see somebody about my, my mental state. Because we can't say it now. Like, it's, it was trendy, but you know, it's still like a stigma off the, off the offline. It's still a stigma for people to get therapy. So, you know, the sports stuff aside, like, 
what can we expect of a future with black people in it if we disregard the most important thing in our body? And that's our mind state or our emotional state. I, I agree with you. I think it's something that we do need to pay attention to. Um, we do need to get um, more in tune with. And I think that if we get more in tune with it, it's something that we do on a proactive measure as opposed to a reactive measure, mm-hmm. that we will have less situations to where we get to a point to where we can't process our emotions to where we need to take a break, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, if we get to a point to where we focus on it in the in the, in the we might be able to mitigate we might be able to mitigate some, mitigate some of the occurrences like to where we have to, yeah. where we get to a point to where it's like all right I'm not going to be able to function anymore let me step away or whatever mm-hmm. to focus on it but if we uh, proactively um, it's almost like it's almost like if we get physically sick right or, mm-hmm. we, or we get physically injured if like we it's too been late at that point going, yeah. It's too late at that point. But yeah. If we would have been going to for our yearly checkups, mm-hmm. if we would have been going to, you know, if we would have gone to the doctor on the onset of something, it limits it. It it keeps a, a small problem from going into a bigger problem. Right. So I think that, like you say, this is something that we can learn from and say, all right, let's start to not only um, get in touch or you know get in get in one accord with how we feel physically but how we feel mentally or whatever so that way things don't start to pile on top of each other to where um all of a sudden it comes out to where we get in situations to where we feel like we need to take a break or we we lose marvin Gaye. yeah like yeah so i i do think that is something that is something that we should start to put in the forefront Mm -hmm. of our um you know of, of what we do and i know one one big thing i i I've thought about going to therapy. I, I haven't gone to therapy. I am 100% open to it. Time out, 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 time out. I did want to cut you off, so I'm not going to say I mean to cut you off. I'm going to disagree with you on that statement, as in what? you haven't been. I haven't, yeah. I, I disagree with that because you've shared with us that you're a part of groups. Those groups are therapy. That's that's therapy. Yeah. So that's that, that, my next statement. Okay. That that is. So I, you have been to therapy technically. You I just didn't feel to, like. I haven't gone to a trained therapist and and sat down with them and talked with them. Like in one on one therapy. In a one on one thing. Yeah. Okay. One thing I can say is I am a part of accountability group, and it's been it's been major because these are a group of guys that you know we. Um, the first thing we do when we get together on a bi-weekly basis, we tell them, you know, things that we might be struggling with or dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, listen to each other's stories. We, you know, kind of support each other throughout the week. Um, you know, we put in requests of how we can, you know, pray for each other and lift each other up, you know, things of that nature. Um, so that, that's kind of a, um, a good way. This, I mean, honestly, this podcast, that's why I look forward to doing it because this gives me a Don't say it. There's a meme out that says black men don't go to therapy, they start a podcast. Don't say that. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wow, I haven't seen it. But I, mean, I, I go ahead. I'm just uh, mean or whatever. This is just a good chance for me to just kind of let loose and, and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and and split the chicken per se. Um, I mean, as I said, there was there was something not to you know get too into myself or whatever. But there was something I was dealing with, um, a situation last week or whatever. I reached out to 
um, you know, one of my uh, older cousins in the family, whatever, just to discuss it with him or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, get his perspective uh, on the situation or whatever, um, because, you know, he's he's kind of familiar with with, with, with the situation or whatever. Um, but, you know, he he adds his perspective. So I'm definitely there are pe- things that I like to talk um, through with people. Um, you know, just to get different perspectives and see if I'm tripping, uh, on stuff or whatever. But so I, I definitely can understand it. And as somebody who, um, is raising young boys or whatever, you know, I see how they handle different things. And, 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 and so I want to make sure that they grow up being able to, um, you know, think from a uh be well adjusted yeah just be well adjusted be well adjusted because uh you know there there are particular groups and and, and mom i saw your comment about she thinks simone was just ready to move on from that phase of her life that could very well be like like i said i mean I, i have no i have no disparaging comments for it I think it's awesome what she did because it's hard to walk away from that. You know, fame is addicting. Uh, so, you know, but anyway, it's another conversation. But we do have a lot of people uh, that we both know uh, in and out of our families, the USF family, uh, natural families that we know suffered some, some breakdowns uh, due to different, you know, factors in their life that they needed more than prayer they needed more than the homies to talk to um like this one guy you and me know from uh usf he was two years old than us um so we got there he was a, he was a junior when we were freshmen and he hung out with some of the ogs that took us under their wing he was a small dude real small dude but he was a ladies man real charismatic and uh you know, he had an episode in like 2006, I believe, where he had gave his life to Christ and was a real devout Christian and uh, became like real religious. And so you know, he was working, 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 working in the church he attended. And then he had a nervous breakdown. And it was because some of the, the rumor is it was because of some of the, the things he had seen and he was just stressing out too much from trying to like do that and then finish college and then like take care of the fam. So he was like, just kind of like, it was too much. Yeah. And so he had a breakdown. Cause he was taking like 18 hours. Yeah. Like, like he, like he was, he would, he would always hours. brag about that. Yeah. Like he would like, I'm gonna take a semester off and then I'm gonna take 19 credits. And I used to be like, man, you, I don't know how y'all do it. But that was, that was, you know, the thing that him and the, the other OG used to do all the time. And so, uh, you know, when it happened to him, I felt bad for him because, one, I know how long those type of episodes usually take a workout because it's happened to me and my family. Like, it was happened in my family. It's happened to, I think, I can name like five guys who had a relative that same thing happened to him. And we don't encourage people to get the, the proper type of help for that. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen people get Baker acted, which means you get arrested and, you know, like a, a non-criminal thing, but put in the hospital. And I'm like, well, 
I know we, we don't like it because, you know, America teaches us not to like it. But there are doctors that are specifically for emotional and mental issues. And those doctors are just as important as the ones that take care of our physical things. So, I'm like, when are we as a black community are going to start to take it as serious? Because I know you got a large section of white people that don't don't really care for it. They call them shrinks and quacks. They think something wrong with you if you go see them. All that kind of stuff. They think it's a sign of weakness. But that's the Protestant, Protestantism BS that was born out of... Uh, the 40s and the 30s in America where everything was so wrapped up into religion and Christianity, a particular type of Christianity, not, you know, not all of them, but you know, history tells us now that that was a mistake and that what I'm saying is this Christianity that was at the foundation of America where these people would go have these revivals and they would go off in these retreats in the woods and they would be like out there for like weeks and what they're getting taught, the revival is there's nothing you can do to get in heaven. You just hope God gives you mercy and grace and picks you to get in. And instead of stressing about that reality of your faith, you just grind and grind and grind and grind and grind and work and work and work and work and work and grind and grind and grind to occupy your mind so you don't have to be afraid or anxious about whether God's going to let you in heaven. That's the original format of American. It's called Protestantism. And so you'll hear something like the Protestant work ethic where it's all about just constant grinding, constant grinding. It's about saving money, you, you know, not making any big moves, being very humble, you know, living this life that's below your means. It's like kind of like what Warren Buffett gets attributed for. Save your money. Put, put some money away every week. When you get paid, you know, don't do anything major. Just keep your head down and little bit by little bit, you know, hopefully when you turn 65, you'll have enough money where you can enjoy the remaining years of your life. That's all the Protestant work ethic. There's some other stuff, the Second Great Awakening. All that stuff happened intermittently. But Christian fundamentalism, you know, evangel white, evangel white evangelicalism, all that stuff plays into your perception of a lot of different social issues. One of them being mental health and emotional health services. We still don't have a large buy-in, specifically us, because I don't care about what they're doing, because they don't care about us being even acknowledged as humans. But some of the stuff that they taught during those different eras in American history, we had to cling to it for dear life because we were in imminent physical danger all the time. Like, so we clung to Christianity real hard because it gave us some hope. We clung to... A lot of stuff because, again, we could walk outside and get shot. That just be your life. You know, that's that's the end of your life. Oh, what was you? You wasn't working. No one body wouldn't hire you. If you was working, they wouldn't pay you. Or if you did scrape a little bit of money in the Great Depression, white people just walking out to take your food and dare you to do something bad. Because if you did, they was going to come back to the house and murder you. Like, that was the existence we had at the time. We don't have to live with these same survival tactics at this point in time. Like we don't, it's not necessary to operate as if we're still in the 1930s and 40s. You know what I'm saying? Like we have the luxury of seeing black people in spaces that they weren't in. You know, we got 
black politicians in the White House. We got politicians in different places. We got black schools. We got black colleges. We got black businesses. We got black doctors. We got black scientists. You know, Kismika Corbett spearheaded the team that created the Moderna vaccine. So it don't have to be all super, oh, what about Tuskegee? We ain't got to do that no more. Somebody over the public health, uh, CDC, these are, you got people everywhere that are black people. Some of the stuff that we're holding on to is not necessary. And so the Simone Biles thing, in addition to the other stuff, was a really big thing for me. I was like, okay, here's another area where we're just so trauma-based in our viewpoint on this issue. Like, everything is trauma-based with us. Like, when are we going to get out of assessing the world through trauma? Now's the time of any. You know what I'm saying? I just... I wasn't prepared for that, but... It's just stuff I've been thinking about. Like, I'd be sad for us, though. Like, we're dying the most from coronavirus. We're not getting the shots. We're dying three, four, five times more than anybody else. That includes immigrants that just got to the country and ain't got no bank accounts. Or, you know, we're still on the bottom of everything. Except for sports. And entertainment. So why are we still out here thinking like 19... 20, 1910, about how to engage with the world in ways that are beneficial to us. Oh, well, because, you know, that one time, 126 years ago. Hey, come on, man. I mean, but I, I think that, like you say, when you, when you see things through that gaze, is that you realize that um, once people got into positions to where they, they were able to perform and where they're able to um, display their talents is that they they weren't in a position to where they could squander those opportunities. Right. So they had to see those opportunities through because they knew that those opportunities were so precious and rare that they didn't want to mess it up for the people that were coming behind them. And like you say, we, we're at a different point now to where we can see ourselves in a lot of different situations and we, we see ourselves to where, hey, you know, I can look out for myself in this instance. I don't have to carry the entire, um, you know, race of people um, through my actions in this particular um, situation or whatever. So I think that... You think that's in, helpful? The, um, I mean, because that is, that is, is a new problem for us. Well, yeah, I'll yeah, say yeah. one of those things that came well, as a result of integration. As, we didn't see ourselves as an athlete. We saw ourselves as black athletes. Just just take Jackie Robinson. For, yeah. For instance, right? They weren't looking for the best um, black baseball player at the time. They were mm -hmm. looking for a good back black baseball player, but they were looking for somebody who would be able to um, mentally and emotionally handle the pressure mm -hmm. that they would have that they would have been forced into mm -hmm. um, by being the first black um you know baseball player in major league baseball right and so they knew the they knew the pressure that was coming on so they wanted somebody who would be able to handle that and as i said i think what you're saying now is that 
you know, Simone Bow, she doesn't have to carry the same weight or the same responsibility that Jackie Robinson had to carry to mm-hmm. where if she doesn't do this, it's going to mess it's going to mess, mess up for opportunities for other for, black people, uh, for other black people um, moving forward. And like you say, that is, you know, we, we are moving into a different thing. But I think a lot of, um, you know, old school thinking people, they still see things through that prism or whatever is like, if you get an opportunity, you know, don't, don't, it's not, you're not just messing it up for yourself, but you're messing it up for, you know, any, anybody else that, that would come behind you. Um, so as I said, is it, that, it, is a, it is, it is a shift in, in mindset. It is a shift in, in the way we view things. Um, you know, and it's like, I think it's something that people are going to have to, um, Get with it, get left behind. Yeah. And and, and see if, um, you know, it's that my my hope would be, you know, to, as I said, I think people are going to face challenges, people are going to face struggles, but, you know, not in in limiting struggle, but figuring out how to overcome those struggles and and work through them. Right. Um, That would be the most ideal situation. But I think that people feel like they're not going to um, do that at the curl of their, you know, their mental. And, and, and as I said, in this case, her mental health could easily physically, affect her physical health. Yeah, physically injured. Of the, of the type of, you know, gymnastics is, you mm-hmm. know, as I said, I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't imagine doing that, like jumping and flipping and doing all that stuff. And hoping you don't land on your neck. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, so I mean, but as I said, it will take a shift. And, I mean, you know, this is something that's kind of new to us, to where people have done, have, in, you know, have started to come out publicly and say, "Hey, man, I'm not not in the right space." Because in, before they, it's something that people wouldn't even admit to, or yeah, or you know, it's just you know, the world's changing. Like we're getting more information. You know, the technology is improving. You know, so we're learning newer things, and I think some people are taking advantage of new, new realities. You know what I mean? Like I saw this TED talk that talked about uh, uh, what's the runner's name? Jesse Owens. You know, Jesse Owens was doing what he was doing, but he was running on gravel and wood, and it was like, well, Usain Bolt. You know, he's running on this technologically advanced composition that's got this rubber that's shock absorbent that allows him to not waste as much energy trying to run and so it ain't that Jackie Robinson's just the all around slower runner or that humans got bigger faster stronger is that we had the aid of technology which did two things it gave us the ability to find more athletes first and then give the athletes information and advantages that Jesse Owens wouldn't have had back when he was running. So it's not that, you know, he's a different freak of a beast and, oh, just just some new breed of humans. It's like, well, yes and no. You know, Jamaicans probably wasn't allowed to run at the time. And they didn't have, they just didn't have the technology. They were saying if Jesse Owens and Usain Bolt ran on the same track and field day, they think based on science that Jesse Owens instead of losing by 13 feet, with a loss by three feet. That's a huge yeah. gap getting closed thanks to technology. You know what I'm saying? So, 
I know we see it in sports and cars and TV, that kind of stuff, but we also have soft sciences that are telling us the world doesn't have to operate this way and individuals don't have to engage with the world in ways that we were told we had to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't understand. I get it. You was winning in the but 80s. In, in, in addition, I mean, just to kind of add a little context, in addition to um, just the technology that was back then, you all, it was also a different time frame of where, um, you know, the world was politically and what was going on. I mean, because you got to remember, mm-hmm. back in the Berlin uh, Olympics where Jesse Owens run, you know, that that's the Olympics to where Adolf Hitler thought, you know, his... Um, you know, his Aryan, uh, you know, his athletes were superior. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was science at the time too. Well, in that country behind. And and when Jesse Owens is, is on the gold, gold medal stand, who's right behind him, you know, uh, (laughs) saluting, uh, saluting him. So, you know, it's, it's not just it, it, like you say, it's a different type of situation, different type of pressure. Not only do you have to go out and perform physically, but you also have, he also had more of, you know, just more societal and political like the, on him like the norms of the day. Yeah, yeah, because of the norms of the day to where, you know, um, so, you know, so, it's, it's, it's a lot of things to where, you know, now people think that you can run just, you can just be an athlete as opposed to not carry, um, yeah, which is, you know, your nature. If that's your choice. I mean, I, I don't agree with people that do that, but you know, it's another show. But I just, I just want people to start thinking now. Like, there is so much more stuff for life to be better, the quality of life to improve. And why aren't we at least considering those things that would improve the quality of our life? Because as a, as a, as black people. There's some stuff that we've been afflicted with from since the beginning of us being in America that now we don't we don't have to do it. And like it, you know, it's still gonna be a struggle to procure some of the things. Like food deserts. Now we know that's a term that means you're not getting quality produce within a one mile radius of your house. Now that's the issue. Like I live in a food desert, but I I have the the wealth and the resources to drive three miles to a place that has groceries. But now that we know that concept of food deserts exist, it's gonna take some pushing and, and, and some legislating and some group action and people getting out to vote and, and doing that vote thing that they just swear don't never help us to change the concept of food desert. Cause your only source of food should not be a corner store and it's chips and liquor. So black people, you gonna keep saying voting don't matter? Because you're not changing your environment without legislation. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's. I can go a lot of, a lot of examples where we're just we're shooting ourselves in the foot in a lot of ways that are unnecessary. And I think, you know, like I said, the Simone Biles thing, I wasn't really interested in discussing her specific example, but it just made me think of how we just were so reluctant to use tools 
that can improve our quality of life. And, I mean, we still dying from cardiovascular disease and diabetes and blood pressure. And, 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 and. That's, that's food choices. Yeah. Now, now let, me, let me ask you this, though. I mean, what do you think? I mean, the, is where are we getting this, these messages of, of how we have to do things or how we have to think? I mean, is it group think? Is it, um, you know, social media? Is it mainstream media? What are you talking about? Like, is the archaic thinking that we still hold yeah, on to? Archaic, like, how is it reinforcing to, to us um, repeatedly over and over again? Well, right now, since everybody has a voice, you're getting more of society's good and bad opinions about stuff. So we know that. You know what I mean? Um, like, you, you, you said a lot messaging and advertising has been democratized to the point that almost every individual on the planet could be a marketing campaign if they wanted to um so certainly got to include social media but there's always been and always will be people that are from a previous generation or previous previous culture that because they had to do things a certain way they think everyone else should do things that way Right, so take example. There's a lot of black men in our age group and older that look at what Simone Biles did, and they're like, they sound exactly like the racist white people that are saying she's a traitor to America and all this stuff. And they're not saying it because they just love America. This is a product of a generation's way of looking at things. Like we have a lot of people that believe in you grind and grind and grind to your bones literally shatter and you kill over and die. That's Protestant work ethic. So that's a result of the revivals of the, the, the 19th century and then the, the movement of the 30s and the Great Depression and people coming in and being charlatans and people that are good intention, intending, well-intending, ah, well-intentioned people that are coming up and being religious figures that want to help people cope with the Great Depression. And as a result of the person being extremely popular, you have people that are charlatans that are pretending to do what they're doing because they're making money in a time when nobody's making money. And then because that person is so popular, generations after them, what we have now is radio shows with the advent of radio technology. You had radio programs with these gospel people coming on and doing these songs and dances about, you know, it's, it's time for the magic hour. And it'll be these rural white families that have the radio stations that are reaching hundreds of thousands of people, whereas you couldn't reach more than 25 because of your city and technology. Now you can reach the entire state of Georgia with your whole message about, oh, God wants you to be, and he wants you to, he wants you to survive, and you just got to donate your money. Give me your money. Call now. Give me your money. Well, you don't want to give me money. Give me your, your email, your, your physical mailing address. So we had that generation with radio, and then when TV came, TV came. Oh boy, oh buddy, it was just people just constantly repping, I mean, uh, yeah, replicating and manipulating something that somebody somewhere along the lines thought was a good idea to help people and make money off of that. And so the 70s and the 80s was when the TV boom happened with televangelism. Bro, we were live in the 80s. Some of the people that was profiting off in the 80s off of the televangelism scheme 
what again whether it was well-intentioned or not they're still alive and still on tv tbn is still on tv that those old people pat roberts and them they were doing that back in the 67 to the 80s so they're putting out messaging that says this is how we should do things matter of fact the southern baptist convention that uh a really large really powerful group of you know white churches and some black churches are in there but it's a white group of people that puts out a lot of statements on how a lot of white people in america should think about things particularly in the southeast america and they still have a lot of the protestant work ethic christian fundamentalist cultural war minded things that they're putting out to this day so you're battling with what we call now culture wars where people are still having to deal with all these issues and you have a lot of black people that just adopted some stuff and because it worked for them financially and individually and professionally they're teaching their kids to do it i mean this this new group is more informed than our group was more informed than we were and they're they're railing against a lot of stuff because they're seeing a lot of stuff didn't work like okay my mom and dad might have been married but i had a terrible life can't tell them it was wrong. Well, you you tripping because your mom and daddy was married. You can't complain. That's that's not true. You can't tell nobody that. So, uh, we need more help from Oprah. <laughs> uh, it's a lot, man. We send it from a lot of places. I just think that uh. Not enough people have that that growth mindset, man, and that's the problem. So, man, I heard some scary things from people that I love dearly, and I know they don't mean it in a bad way, but I'm just like, you can't say that in public. Like, you can't say that about an entire group of people. You can't say that about an entire demographic of people that are black. You, you can't say that. That's not, well, I ain't mean it like that. Well, yeah, but you... They don't know that. They don't know you. So, yeah. it's gonna take some federal government legislation, bro. That's what I think. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's that's what the federal government's job is, anyway. You know, the safety net. So. Uh, but to those of us that, that want to rail against that comment you wouldn't have got the college you wouldn't have got the internet without the federal government you wouldn't have got no cell phones without the federal government so get down off your soapbox yes the federal government wrote the constitution and put us in slavery yes that did happen but you have an iPhone you have Facebook you have Wi-Fi thanks to who? the federal government so, pick and choose your battles, people. Anyway, man. Uh, yeah, that's me. That's I'm, I'm, I'm. What you got? I have no more talking points, topics that I want to touch on. Nah, man. I think it's, that's the show. So. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we will talk to you guys next time. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. God bless. Peace.